I want to welcome you all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And uh, I'm so grateful that we could continue on in uh, the study of this wonderful little book in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. And as I think I um, probably say at all the sermons, uh, the, this, the, the books that we do, there's, there's so much richness that even I, in preparation, am, am startled at, at what the Lord reveals that that comes out you know things that we have not seen uh, before and that's uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in enlightening all of this to us so I'm so thankful that uh, our church can go through this book and uh, to study it in preparation for uh, going into our Advent season and uh, Pastor Jeff will pick up next week in chapter 3 but my uh, my desire today is to finish up chapter 2 and to uh, continue on and then look at Boaz, um, this significant figure um, who is, as I said last week, so much more than just a man, so much more than a, an individual in a story. By the way, many people say that this is perhaps one of the earliest recorded short stories ever. And so what a great little story, and yet in the midst of it there's deep theology and a picture of Jesus Christ for us. That's what we see, a picture of Jesus for us. And now, if, if this all seems old to you and old hat, and yeah, I've heard that before, I encourage you to recognize then how your life should be different. How should you then live? If you really understand grace, if you really understand the lavish love of God, I want you to keep that word in your mind. I'm a, an English guy. I love words and hang on words. Keep that word in your mind today. Lavish. There's a story attributed to Charles Spurgeon and goes something like this. There's a gardener who presents his king with the greatest carrot he has ever grown. The king is touched and responds by giving the gardener a large plot of land. There's a nobleman who's watching this, who witnesses this event unfolding and decides that it would be advantageous for him to present the king with his finest horse. And so he does that. He brings the king this fine horse, and upon giving it to him, the king merely thanks him for the horse with nothing else. The nobleman is kind of confused and perturbed and comes back and at another point asks the king about it and this was the king's explanation to him. My dear nobleman, that gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. He was thinking selfishly. Thinking about giving in order to get. Such a different picture than Ruth and Boaz, isn't it? I want you to keep that in mind. There is a selflessness in these individuals that we need to recognize and understand where that comes from. That's not just human, because the human condition is what the nobleman did. What can I get out of being good? What can I get in return? How do I get off better by doing nice things for other people? That's our heart. Our heart is sinful. Our heart is selfish. But when God takes a hold of your heart, it's different. There's a selflessness. 
There's a humility. There's a graciousness. And I will say that word again, there is a lavishness in how you love people. So let's pray together. Father, I ask that you will truly uh, bless us as we look at this passage again and go into chapter 2 and, and, and the rest of it as we look at Boaz and Ruth and the unfolding of this story of them coming together. And yet, Lord, you had it all planned. And you, you put it together. You orchestrated every event and all the many, many details as we uh, recognized last week, Lord. You are in the details and you are working it out for our good, our greatest good, in your glory. So, Lord, give us eyes to see your Son, our Lord Jesus, in an even more clear way today. That's my prayer for my own heart, my own little ones, and for our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Last week, um, you know, we talked about Ruth and how Ruth was different, right? Um, Boaz is introduced into the story. But here in the rest of two, I want to unfold this a bit more deeper. And I want to show you the picture of Ruth, this selfless, wonderful lady who God has is going to use for generations to come in being the great-grandmother of King David and a ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this Moabites, an enemy of the Jewish people, marries into the family of God and God brings fruit and ultimately a Redeemer of Redeemers, right? And so we see as we left off last week, that Ruth's attitude is different than Naomi's. Do you remember I mentioned that Ruth, I mean, Naomi is still stewing in bitterness. Remember I asked that question, is there, is there any bitterness in you right now over people, over situations, over what you think God need, should have done for you or should have given you, but you, you think He owes you? You know, because you do all these things for Him or whatever it is, and there's a bitterness. Naomi's kind of like that. Naomi says, God Almighty, the covenant Lord has brought this to me. And I am now empty, right? And Ruth, in in opposite of that, is different. What do you see? She's hopeful. She has real faith. And there's a industriousness to her of going and doing something, right? For the sake of life and living and having her family continue to live and not die. There's there's a lot of beauty in this woman. And so I want to give you some points for you to think about. First, I'm going to introduce this V couple. What do I mean by the V couple? Well, a virtuous woman and a valiant man. And what we see is God is matchmaking. God is bringing them together. God is bringing their their lives in in to cross over and ultimately he makes a match. He causes them to get married. And why? Because a redeemer is coming. Greater than Boaz. A redeemer is coming and God wants this to happen just this way and so a virtuous woman and a valiant man come together and we'll see uh, more of that. In verse 2, it says this, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. 
So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And by the way, every time you see Boaz, you hear that phrase, uh, of, uh, of the clan of Elimelech. Why does it keep mentioning, and here's Boaz of the clan of Elimelech? Well, it's to give us hope. It's the ray of, it's the ray of light for these two very impoverished women in that ancient culture, and they had few options for uh, earning a living, and so we see a kinsman who they can find some hope in, and God begins to orchestrate and unfold the story. Well, you realize that even in that verse 2 in the beginning, and Ruth the Moabite, what is encaptured in there is Ruth the unfavorable. Very literally, if you study the original language, really what it means is the unfavorable Moabite, right? And she's going out to glean. And she says to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean. Among whoever would be kind enough to let me glean. And so what do you see? You see a foreigner, an enemy of the Jewish people, who comes from a people who have no flavor, who will soon find favor with God. And you know, I, I, the more I read this, the more I think that there is genuine faith in this lovely, lovely, virtuous one. Oh, by the way, in the Jewish Bible, this comes after Proverbs. Proverbs 31. What is Proverbs 31 all about? Right? Is it coincidence then in their Bible that it comes right after Song of Solomon and Proverbs? And here's Ruth! A virtuous example of everything that I just spoke about. Well, she must be trusting in God for favor. She must be. You know why? Because there's no reason to think that anyone would extend a foreigner favor, especially in the days of the judges. Especially when sin is rampant. The judges are a time where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, and sin is rampant, right? And so there's no reason for Ruth to think, oh, I can just go and glean in any field, and it'll be fine. No. She is trusting in the Lord. She must be trusting in the Lord for favor. Because she has heard, heard over the years of being in this family, this Bethlehemite, Judahite family, she must have learned of the Lord and His Word. And she knows that gleaning was a practice that was set up by God to allow the poor, the foreigners, to have food. This is the Old Testament provision for God's people to provide for the poor. And, and, as we continue to look at Ruth, what do you see? You see a humility. She's humble enough to go and glean because Naomi has no food to give to her. And Ruth has no food to give to Naomi. And they don't have a way to earn a living. They're impoverished in this culture. And so she says, I'll go glean. That is what your Bible says is provided for the poor, the foreigner, the widow, the orphan. And she's courageous. Because she's going to a strange field in a land that is not her own in a time when sin was running rampant and it was obviously dangerous for her. Because even Boaz later on in this story says, stay near my young men, my young women 
so that they will not touch you or harm you. I've instructed them not to harm you. Because we can imagine, right? A foreigner, a woman, a Moabitess coming in this field gleaning and trying to take advantage of what God's Word is saying. And and she's courageous to do that. So many wonderful qualities here. But at the moment, can I just bring you back to Deuteronomy 24? This is what Ruth must have known and heard from God's Word. When you reap your harvest in your field, Deuteronomy 24, 19 to 22, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes in your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Humble enough to glean, industrious, knowing and trusting in God. And there's an obedience, right? There's an obedience. These are godly traits. Generosity through obedience has a blessing. And we're going to see that unfold. But let me ask you to think about that line. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Why does the Scripture bring this up? Because God is actually reminding the Israelites by leaving the corners of their field unharvested, so to speak, so that the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner, the foreigner could come and glean and have when they don't have. Because God is reminding them that there was a time when God's own people were in Egypt and they were the foreigners and they didn't have enough food. And so to obey this was to remember what the Lord had done for them when they were the poor ones, when they were the despised foreigners having very little. So God is saying, remember Egypt. And so do this. And so even in the midst of all that danger, she says, I'm going to trust the Lord. This is a provision. Naomi, let me go. Let me go to the field. And and she goes and... um she she starts gleaning. And, you know, the author is using a device here by saying she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, if you ask Ruth, why did you go to that particular field? You know, she probably had no idea about Boaz, that he was of the clan of Elimelech and a kinsman to Naomi. It very well could have been that she went because it was the closest one to her home with Naomi. Maybe it was because it had more grain than other fields or whatever. But the truth is, there's no happenstance. There's no just happening by chance. And so the author is saying she happened to come to show us, no, God has it all perfectly planned. And she was in that field on purpose. Guys, do you realize that? That every single thing that we may think we're deciding on and doing is under the providence and the sovereign hand of God. Everything! Like Callie being at the university that she is. Or you working in the place where you are. 
or us having this church around all these particular neighborhoods with those particular people. It is God orchestrating and unfolding of plans. Proverbs 16.9 The heart of man plans his way, but what? The Lord establishes steps. Young people, if you don't know that verse, you need to memorize Proverbs 16.9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now you might think, well, I'm the one who did the research. I'm the one who thought through it. I'm the one who made the decisions. But the truth is, friends, listen, everything was already in God's providence. It's all His working out our good for his glory. And there is nothing left to chance as God, um, as God works all this out. Secondly, I'm going to come to, uh, chapter, verses 5 to 23 and look at Boaz. Now I want to point out two quick things. Boaz's kindness and God's grace. Remember I said he's a valiant man. Remember last week I, uh, kind of equated him to being like a knight, defending the defenseless, being a true, a man of truth, a man of God's word, a man who spoke lovingly to his servants and God's people, and they spoke lovingly back to him because he was generous and kind and just and all of that. Two things, the kindness of Boaz and the grace of God. So Boaz says to his young man, Whose young woman is this? Now, there are times when I've thought in the past, he looked at her and he thought, who is that? This young new woman. And he may have taken notice of her for the fact that he's never seen her in this little town before. But I want to tell you that there is something that is happening. God is drawing these two people together on purpose. Isn't that encouraging for you parents to know that God very lovingly puts people together and He will do the same for your children as He has done for us? God brings families together. It is God the one who is the one who creates families and knows what He's doing. And, and so Boaz, who many commentators say very likely did not have a family of his own. This was not a second or third wife or whatever he was taking. He was very likely a bachelor and remained a bachelor for so many years. And, and he takes notice and the, the servant answers, who, the one who was in charge of the reaper says, she is the young Moabite woman who came, came back with Naomi from the country of Moab and said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves among the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. And what happens? Boaz notices Ruth. He's a godly man and he takes notice. And Ruth is, as I mentioned before, those traits, the kind of godly, virtuous woman that a godly man looks for as he recognizes her commitment, her caring, her humility. And why do I mention humility? Well, if you read those scriptures, she probably recognizes she has the right to walk into a field and to begin to glean, right? But she doesn't do that. She asks for permission to glean. Please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. Do you see that? And Boaz notices her. Boaz was 
being used in God's providence to redeem, and God's grace is extended to Ruth and Naomi. He's, he's so kind, right? He says, listen, my daughter, again, maybe because of the age difference, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close, right? Let your eye be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And Ruth is overwhelmed and she, as she experiences this kindness. And I wonder about us, you know, in our obedience to God and in our kindness to one another. You know, I'm a New Yorker. You guys know that about me. You know, one of the things that people mistake about New Yorkers is that they're not kind. But they are kind people. They just need to stop and pause for a minute. They just need to see the person in front of them because we're just walking fast or jumping on the subway and getting to work. But when someone stops you, there is a face recognition and there is actually a connection between hearts and souls that happens all across the world, even in New York City. It is. And um, Boaz takes notice because he sees godliness. He sees um, virtuosity in this young woman. And he becomes um, not only kind, but incredibly generous. I think about us. Are we generous like that when you have been bought by the Lord? You know, one of my favorite, favorite stories is Les Miserables. Maybe you guys have all read the book or seen the movie. I cannot stop thinking about some of those scenes when uh, Jean Valjean is captured by the police and brought back to the home of the priest from whom he was shown lots of grace and kindness and he steals all the silver and he gets caught and comes back and the priest says, no, I, I, I gave it. But you forgot some, right? And he gives more. And then that moment where they exchange, they interchange, and he says, you are no longer, in a sense, who you were before. You have been bought. You are owing something now to this kindness. There is a freedom that that you have now and now your life can never be the same again. It, it's grace, right? It's graciousness. It's not just being kind. And for, for the sake of our time, I, I want to go forward more into unfolding this. I want you to think about that word lavish that I used. So, what is Boaz required to do? Leave the corners of his field. For the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, somebody like Ruth. But then do you notice that he purposefully supplies her with food? And then he even says, let her glean among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. You know what we tend to do? We'll say, God, you told me to give a tithe. I will give exactly a tenth and no more. Right? We, we tend to be legalistic. I, I know, I'm just speaking tongue in cheek. My, my point is this. Are we people who recognize the love and the grace and the lavishness of God to be lavish in return? Do you realize that according to the law, Boaz could have given her a little bit, 
let her glean a little bit. And then he says so much more. He says, my daughter, come and eat. Come and eat at the table. And then he says to his workers, leave some, drop some, even more than you're required to do to let her pick up the leftover crumbs. Leave some so she may take. And so much so that she has about 30 to 50 pounds, some people say, an ephah of barley, and she brings it back to Naomi. And Naomi's like, where did you get this? In whose field have you been in? And she tells Naomi that it was in the field of Boaz. I can't tell you this enough. Boaz is not just a man. He is a shadow of Christ for us. He is the picture of the lavishness and the generosity and the grace of Christ for us in providing this for Ruth. And how lavish His love and His grace was as He begins to notice her, as He begins to recognize her plight, as He begins to see that not only do I need to give Ruth some, but I need to give enough for her to bring back to Naomi. Right? Can I point you just for a moment to Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 8. We read this last week, by the way. I think Pastor Jeff read it during our time of confession and affirmation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. That is what we have in Christ. So how should we be? Are you generous? Beyond the letter of the law? Are you generous? Are you lavish having experienced the the love and the lavish grace of God in your own life? I heard this story about a man, a story a man of a friend of our families who wrote this in an old magazine called Decision Magazine. It's a Christian folk story from southern India, I believe, and it opens with a young boy who loved to play marbles. He had a special blue marble that had won him many matches. And during one walk, he encountered a young girl who was eating a bag of chocolate candy. He thought to himself, I have got to get my hands on those chocolates. So the boy proceeds to talk to the young girl and convince the girl to trade all her candy for all the marbles. He put his hand in his pocket, searching for the distinguishing cracks on the surface of the blue marble. And carefully pushed it to the bottom of his pocket. Having traded her all but his lucky blue marble, he thought his plan was a success and turned to walk away. As he began to eat the candy, he suddenly turned to the girl and asked, Hey, did you give me all the chocolates? 
And I think that's sometimes how we are. Our fallen nature persuades us to posture ourselves in the same deceptive and defiant way as the little boy in this story. We tend to sometimes think that that's maybe how God is. That God's not giving us everything. That God's not giving us all the candy. That God's holding something back. Just because we tend to be that way. Right? We hold back. Whether it's friends or loved ones or the church or whatever it is. But God is not that way. Our loving and gracious God is not that way. It is of Him of whom the Scripture says... He who has given us His own Son, will He not also with Him freely give us all things? God is so lovingly pouring out grace upon grace and provision upon provision to all of you who are in Christ, who trust Jesus. And so then what is the call on us? To be generous. It is to be kind. It is to be lavish. And Boaz was being used in that way. I want to tell you that this is what being an instrument in the hands of the Redeemer means. To be an instrument in the hands of the Redeemer means that we notice, that we show kindness, that we provide, and that you go more than the letter of the law, that you Show love and generosity and lavishness the way that you have experienced it from God's hand. Has God not given you so much? I recognize that in in the Lord's work in my own life. I kind of think, I'm so unworthy. I'm not coming to the table with anything. I'm not coming with a spiritual resume or, or all the things that I wished I had done. I'm coming with weaknesses, faults, shortcomings, and I come to the table where God says, but look, everything that I have is yours. I'm giving you everything. And my call on you is that your life from this moment on would be different. Completely different. Now you might think, well, why did Boaz, why did Boaz respond to her with such kindness? Is it because she saw, he saw that she was being so kind to Naomi and he's just repaying her, so to speak? There's a lot more going on here. Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and come to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Do you know why God was taking care of Ruth? and providing a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, and providing exactly what she needed, which was most immediately food, but so much more as we'll see, is because Boaz sees godliness. Boaz sees virtuosity. Boaz sees faith. She was someone who had taken refuge under his wings. Ruth was the Lord's and had taken refuge under his wings of love and care and protection, and there's no better place to be. You know, Ruth is so much like us. We are the outsiders. 
We are the sojourners. We are the ones in reality have no right to expect any grace or favor. By the way, you know when she, when Ruth is talking, she says, let me go and glean, perhaps in a field where someone may show me favor. You know that is an Old Testament word for the word grace. As we see in Genesis where all of mankind is going crazy in sin and it says, but God showed favor to Noah and grace to Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Some of one of my son, uh, one of my son Noah's favorite verses. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why would Ruth think that she could have or get anything? Well, it's because of God. Because of her trust in God. Because of her putting herself under God's care, protection, under His wings. And God sets up a Redeemer in Boaz to be an instrument in His hand to extend grace. And what happens? Well, I'm going to save that for chapter 3. I bet you don't know what's coming, right? But isn't this an incredible, incredible picture for us? I wonder if you have paused and recognized that God has not kept some of the chocolates back for you. No, seriously, right where you are with your faults, your problems, your, you know, going off track, walking away from the Lord. Have you ever thought, yeah, God's going to give other people more. I may not get as much. I feel less loved. That is a lie from the devil. He who did not spare his own son but freely gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Do you realize how loved you are? How lavish God's love and grace is for you, yes, you individually, and that you have an inheritance, and that you have a provision, and that you have a caretaker, and you have a Redeemer. That is who we are as believers. And when you really, really take that in, you become like Jean Valjean. And you take people into your home. And you live under grace. And you can be free. And you see your life transformed without selflessness, without fear. It is a different life altogether. Friends, as I close, I want to ask you this. Do you have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Lord has done for you? Because we are called to be extenders of that grace. We are called to be extenders of that grace. Do you know, the most important thing I think that we as believers should have said about us is that we are people of grace. So filled with grace towards people who may not merit it, may not deserve it, and yet there is a grace that comes out, perhaps through physical things that you can provide for them when there's poor and needy around you, or someone in the body, or somebody outside the body needs you, you step up and you provide that. But even more than that, it's forgiveness, it's kindness, it is a lavish love. That is Jesus for us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for this Word and for showing us who You are. That, Lord, You're not holding anything back from them that walk as Your children and who walk in love for You. 
Lord, thank you that you are gracious and kind. And thank you for the picture of Boaz to us. That while we were unlovely, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for the redemption that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.